to, you know, repackage it a little bit, and, and there's good reasons to believe that this is a different account, not the same account. Um, first of all, with the feeding of the 5,000, there were actually way more than 5,000 because the 5,000 was only a reference to the men who were in the crowd, so 10,000, 15,000, maybe more were present for that feeding. Um, of course, 4,000 for this one was the total number of people. In the feeding of the 5,000, it was five loaves and two fish and twelve basketfuls were left over. In the feeding of the four thousand it was seven loaves and a few small fish and seven basketfuls were left over. In the feeding of the five thousand they had only been in the wilderness for a day. Here, three days without food. So lots of differences. Some other key ones we're going to talk about in the body of the sermon. One thing the same though, <laughs> the disciples' unbelief. And you look at it and you're like, how in the world could they have failed to believe that Jesus could multiply the food given what they had seen not that long before this in the feeding of the 5,000? Couldn't they see who was standing right in front of them? I mean, Jesus was standing right in front of them. Well, before we get too judgy... Let's think for a minute about the kind of pressure that they must have been under. It had been three days, right? They were out in the middle of nowhere. Jesus pointed out a problem to them without an obvious solution. They don't see a way forward. Big problems put us under high pressure. And high-pressure situations can cloud our vision. They keep us from seeing a way forward. Our bodies literally work that way. High blood pressure, one of the long-term effects of high blood pressure, can lead to the damage of small blood vessels in our eyes. Damage to blood vessels in our eyes can lead to a lack of enough blood flow to our eyes, resulting in damage to the optic nerve, which can lead to blurred vision or even blindness over time. High blood pressure can lead to loss of vision. High life pressure can lead to loss of spiritual vision. So it's, it's one thing to talk about faith in the Sunday morning sense. Cool. Well, not cool. It's hot in here. But, you know, cool, calm, collected. It's another thing entirely to talk about sustaining faith under the pressures of life. So what does this passage teach us about faith under pressure? I believe it teaches us three things. First, faith under pressure, reasons from the past. Faith under pressure, reasons from the past. Second, faith under pressure looks to the future. And then third, faith under pressure stays in the moment. Reasons from the past, looks to the future, stays in the moment. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we head into a study of this portion of your word, um, Lord, help us to see ourselves so clearly in the disciples and recognize how gracious you were toward them and how gracious you are toward us. And Lord, would you help us to see the ways in which you have called us to trust you and even to partner with you in the things that you are doing in this world. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so first, faith under pressure reasons from the past. And of course, you know, we, we don't know how it was they could forget. We don't, they, they don't tell us in the passage, you know, we don't get Peter and, and Second Peter saying, oh yeah, you know that thing with the bread? Uh, yeah, we don't get that explanation at any point. Um, so we don't know. But we can think about our own experience and, and kind of get an idea how this could happen. Um, this happened to me just yesterday, actually. Uh, Carl Schaffel and I went down to uh, Cortland, New York for Alex Wright's uh, examination to be ordained. He is now assistant pastor of New City Fellowship Beachwood. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so Carl and I drove to Cortland and we took Carl's car. Now Carl has a sporty little stick shift car and he always lets me drive it, which is a lot of fun because I don't have a little sporty car. So, you know, two hours to Cortland, two hours back, I'm driving Carl's manual transmission, stick shift, car. Last night, Wendy and I are in, you know, our vehicle, which is an automatic, and we're driving somewhere, we'd order some takeout, we're going to pick it up, and we just, we're driving together, because we missed each other, so we were together. And we're, I'm getting off 490, and what do I immediately do? Reach for the stick and raise my left foot to depress the clutch. Now, did I forget that I was in my own car? Well, kind of. I mean, in the moment, I did. I mean, I knew I was in my own car, but in that moment, I reflexively reached for what I knew wasn't there. Well, if self-reliance is like driving a stick shift, we've been driving a stick shift our whole lives. It's reflex to rely on ourselves. If you're a Christian, you haven't forgotten that you're a Christian. You haven't forgotten all that God has done for you. But in the moment, you reach for self-reliance. Unthinkingly. So what do we need to do to remember? Well, again, we don't get the disciples telling us anything here. But go back to the book of Deuteronomy, for instance. Certainly not the only place in the Bible. But Moses is in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, Moses is with the children of the Exodus generation. Right? So God delivers the people of Israel out of Egypt. And then, you know, the, the 12 spies go into the land. 10 come back and say, this is crazy. We cannot go in there. There's giants in the land. And two, Joshua and Caleb say, listen, God's bigger than them. Let's go. And, you know, of course, the people shrink back and they don't go. So, so God's judgment is you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. All the adults of the Exodus generation are going to die in the wilderness. And the children of the Exodus generation are going to enter the land, plus Joshua and, and uh, Caleb. And so here's... Moses, with the children of the Exodus generation after 40 years, now adults, on the edge of the promised land, and in the first three chapters of Deuteronomy, he rehearses what had happened. This is what God did for your fathers at the time of the Exodus. And this is how God sustained you and your parents all the way throughout the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And this is the way God got us to this point in which we are right now. And then beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 4, and especially in Deuteronomy chapter 4 through, verse, through chapter 8, we read Moses saying things like this. Deuteronomy 4.9 Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget 
the things that your eyes have seen. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Deuteronomy 4.39 Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath and there is no other. Deuteronomy 7 verses 17 through 18 If you say in your heart these nations are greater than I how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. Incidentally intermingled all throughout Deuteronomy 4 through 8 is Moses saying to parents teach these things to your children. Make sure they know so that they won't forget. Oh, incidentally, in Deuteronomy 4, Moses says, guess what? God's never going to forget. Deuteronomy 4, the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forget the covenant He made with your fathers. So what's the first thing we can say about faith under pressure? It stands on the shoulders of the past. It's not a leap in the dark. It's not wish fulfillment. It stands on the shoulders of the past. It calls to mind the faithfulness of God. It rehearses past provision in order to deal with present stress. It brings to the fore the fact that God has promised never to forget. Faith under pressure reasons from the past. Second, faith under pressure looks to the future. Now, there's a major difference. There's two of them I want to hit on. The first difference between the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000 I want to touch on here, and that is the audience, the people in the crowd. In the feeding of the 5,000, it was primarily Jewish people. Jesus, Jesus was still in the region where Jewish people primarily lived. And so he's feeding a, a Jewish crowd in the feeding of the 5,000. In the feeding of the 4,000 here in Mark chapter 8, it is primarily a Gentile crowd. We know that because in 8.1 it says, in those days, and right prior to that, we talked about this last week in Mark chapter 7, he's doing miracles amongst the Gentiles to prove that this kingdom that he is proclaiming is not for the Jews only, it's for the whole world. There's feast language in verse 8. that it, We don't see it in the English. But look at verse 8. It says, They ate and were satisfied. That's feast language, satisfied. It meant that they were stuffed to the full. They couldn't eat another bite. It's like, no more fish or bread, please. And there's all that left over. It wasn't just satiating their hunger so they could make their way home. It was a feast. It was pointing, in other words, to a greater feast that is to come. Mark loved Isaiah. You could tell he was all over the prophet Isaiah. Because even from the very beginning of, the, of Mark, he's quoting from Isaiah. Last week, we looked at Isaiah chapter 35 and the way in which Mark deliberately connected. Remember, if you go back and listen to that sermon, he used very deliberate language to connect what was happening 
to in the, in the Gentile region to what was prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 35. I'll just read that for us again. Remember, he, he heals a man who is mute and deaf. Isaiah 35, 5-6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. And we talked last week about how the setting for Isaiah chapter 35 was right where Jesus was with his disciples in Mark chapter 7. Well, what we get here in Mark chapter 8 is referenced back, I believe, to Isaiah chapter 25. Because because the feast that Jesus provides in the wilderness for these Gentiles, remember the audience, is hinted at in Isaiah chapter 25. So I'm going to read 25, 6 through 9. On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The disciples knew Isaiah 25. They saw what Jesus was doing in the Gentile region. They should have been able to call to mind this truth from the past that talks about the future in order to understand what's happening in the present. Faith under pressure looks to the future. Faith under pressure reasons from the past to the future. It looks to the future in an ultimate sense. All creation is being renewed. Isaiah 25, there's a line that runs from Isaiah 25 through the Lord's Supper all the way to Revelation chapter 19 and the great wedding supper of the Lamb in which all nations are going to be gathered at the Messiah's banquet. Faith under pressure reasons from the past to the future. That distant future. Well, distant, it could be in an hour. I don't know. But that long-anticipated time in which Jesus Christ returns and all things are made new. And every tear, as we saw in Isaiah, is wiped from every eye. The disciples should have seen it's beginning to happen. It's true in an ultimate sense that faith looks reasons from the past to the future. But it's also true in a proximate sense. When God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, that's next year, that's next month, that's next week, that's tomorrow, that's today. Faith reasons from the past to the future in a proximate sense. That leads to the third point. Faith under pressure stays in the moment. Faith under pressure reasons from the past. Faith under pressure looks to the future. And faith under pressure stays in the moment. Doing two things. First, looking to Jesus to see what he will do. And then second, partnering with him in his work. 
looking to Jesus to see what he will do. The crowd, back in Mark chapter 8, had been with Jesus for three days. They hadn't eaten anything. Well, maybe they had brought some provisions with them, but they were you know, surely gone by then. But three days, they're like, man, there's nothing more important right now than being with Jesus. I'd rather be with Jesus than have food. And let me tell you, there's nothing more important to faith under pressure than being with Jesus. Having your eyes fixed on Jesus. Abiding with Jesus. Jesus in John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, he it is who will bear much fruit. Casting all your cares on Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. That is faith present in the moment. Clear eyes, fixed on Jesus, waiting and watching to see what He will do, and then ready to join Him in His work. Ready to join Him in His work. There's a, there's a phrase, and I don't want to make too much of this at all, because I'm not saying that Mark's trying to say something here. I'm just saying it's, it struck me as I read it. And that's in Mark chapter 8, in verse... Six, But let's read 4 through 6. Let me go back to 3. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on their way, and some of them will have come from far away. So just pause there for a second. Jesus saw. Jesus saw the need. That's actually the second thing I want to touch on. The difference between the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 uh, was also the nature of Jesus' concern. In the feeding of the 5,000, it was, I have compassion on these people because they're like sheep without a shepherd. These were Jewish people. The shepherds of Israel had failed them. His heart was bursting out of concern for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Here, they're hungry. I have compassion for them because they're hungry and there's no way they can make it home without fainting on the way. The disciples had been with Jesus and with the crowd for three days. They, they, they didn't see it. Jesus saw it. Coming back to verse 4. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. Now again, I don't want to make too much of that last phrase. It feels like it's unnecessary additional detail. Oh, and by the way, they did what they were told. I don't want to make anything more out of that than, than what Mark presents us with, which is just detail. However, what struck me as I read that was the fact that they actually got to partner with Jesus in what he was doing. I mean, they had, they had just forgotten again they were clueless to the needs of the crowd around them. They, they, as far as we know, lacked concern for the crowd because they didn't bring the issue to Jesus like they had in the feeding of the 5,000. In the feeding of the 5,000, after one day, they said, Jesus, these people are hungry. Here, after three days, Jesus said to the disciples, Guys, these people are hungry. So they hadn't seen it. Once Jesus pointed it out, they didn't believe that Jesus could do anything about it. And yet Jesus still, still said, guys, I want you to partner with me in this work. And I think for us as 
forgetful, failing followers of Jesus, there's great comfort there. Jesus is committed to doing good works in this world. He is committed to keeping all of his promises to give previews in the present age of the age to come. And he chooses to do so by using broken and flawed people like us. You know, we read about the seven loaves. Don't try to figure out, like, you know, what kind of allegorical application should be made from the seven loaves. How about this? There just wasn't a lot of bread. And Jesus multiplied it. And how about this? We don't have a lot to offer. But Jesus can make much out of very little for the display of his glory. And like the disciples, we fail and forget, but like the Apostle Paul, we can have the confidence of knowing that God has said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, with Paul, we can say, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That applies not just to sustaining faith under the pressure of the moment, but actually participating in the work that God is calling every every believer to do. So when you go home and you look at your kids and you think, there's no way I have it within me to model Christ to these children, remember that he he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world and greater than your own flesh. And in the moment, serve. When you're back at work and people around you are anxious because of everything that's happening right now, whether it's health or finances, and you're not even sure what to say, you can say something. God is good. He's in control. I don't know why this is happening, but I know He can be trusted. Just a little thing. Who knows what God will do with it. All right, we need to move on. Do you believe that in this moment that is so filled with pressure, the mighty works of God from the past and the promises He has made about the future and His presence with you by His Spirit, even now, will sustain you? And the answer to that is, yeah, but I kind of know what's likely to happen. I'm going to get in the automatic and reach for the stick. And that's why it is such good news that we continue to get reminders from God about His provision for us. And we've got one right here at the Lord's Supper.